Well, this today is the third of our series that we're doing on the nature of being. Uh, we've got a whole little series that I'm doing on the nature of being. And the first message a few weeks ago, I said that although from a spiritual perspective, we all love the idea of being. Everybody sort of bigs up the idea that, it's, that the idea really is to be. Um, but the truth of the matter is that the idea of just being doesn't simply imply good. You know, as my son always tells me, I can be a pain or you can be pure evil. So the very act of just being is not an aspect of necessarily goodness. Um, we talk about the idea of, of being in one sense and being in another. And what I want to talk about today is how we can be in the fullness of things. Um, as we live, we grow up making decisions about the way that life is. And that's how we decide how we're going to be. These decisions may not be correct, but they result in a worldview that affects the way that we be, that affects the way that we live our life. And last week I, I talked about, you know, why do we bother to do this in the first place anyway? You know, what's the point of trying to be good? It's so exhausting, it seems, a lot of the time. You know, is it worth doing it? Um, not bothering is a lot easier, I was saying. You just have to get by with the least amount of resistance and the greatest amount of pleasure. Um, and then, of course, you know, because this is a church and I'm a minister and I'm supposed to encourage you, I said, no, that's not the right way at all. I spoke about the idea that essentially we're being drawn into action, called to be a part of the process of transformation. And the effort we make is the sacrifice that we're called to make in our lives for the good of the whole. Literally, sacrifice is, literally means to make holy, sacrificio in the Latin, to make holy. Our lives are really therefore a process of being made holy if we allow them to be. And today I want to talk a little bit about what that might involve. How do we get from being born to a process of realizing that our life is about holiness? How do we live our lives to the fullest? And that call to holiness and the way we progress into it the call to holiness and the way we progress into it really, I think, again, comes down to the worldview that we accept in our lives. And this is the aspect of our life that's, that's uncalculated, or rather it is calculated, but that calculation has already been made and you operate out of the results of that calculation. And you live your life you grow up making decisions about the way that life is. And these decisions may or may not be correct, but they result in a worldview. And you settle on an idea of the way that the world is. And then you operate out of that idea. Whether or not that may be through nature or nurture, somewhere decisions are made. And this worldview might be to say that everybody's mean and out for their own ends. Or it might be to say that there's a fundamental interconnectedness of all things and that the universe is a friendly place. But whatever your worldview, that will affect the nature of your beingness. That will affect how you are, the decisions that you default to uh, when you think about things. And I want to look 
today about those worldviews and how they change as we grow up and how they're currently reflected in society. People refer to this as spiral dynamics, and it occurs in the work of both Jim Marion and Ken Wilber. And some of you may have heard some of this material before, but it does worth revisiting when you're looking at how you motivate yourself, how you're being. And today's topic, the fullness of being, unless we're conscious of these worldviews, will continue to be unconsciously run by them as we live our lives, unless you can become conscious of them. And the journey, the journey through these different stages is really a journey out of narcissism. It's a journey, narcissism really is about self-absorption. It's a journey out of self-absorption into a greater compassion for life. It's a journey leaving behind the self-centeredness that arises from the failure to distinguish between yourself and external objects and moving into holiness. Literally allowing ourselves to be made holy by becoming living sacrifices to the transformation of the world. Now, we might sometimes be aware of what we're thinking, but not aware of the underlying framework that's behind our thinking, the assumptions that we're making behind every thought, which is our worldview. So that's really what I want to address today. The dictionary definition of narcissism is an excessive interest in one's own self-importance or abilities. It's about us inflating ourselves and deflating others. Someone once described the definition of a bore as a person of low taste, someone more interested in himself than in me. (laughs) Someone more interested in himself than in me. And that really links to what we're talking about now. Throughout our lives, and the screen's going to come down behind me now, (laughs) just in case you thought it wasn't meant to. Um, throughout our lives, you know, we've, if we've developed at all, we've, we start to become less fascinated with ourselves and more fascinated with other people. A young child, if you observe a young child, tends to be totally egocentric and really can't differentiate himself from, from the real world. You know, his worldview is completely bound up in himself. He feels that, or she feels that his pain is the world's pain. And you see that when children cry. I mean, it's as if the whole world is descending into some sort of desperateness. And we see different levels of consciousness as we progress through the years. And some of us get stuck in these levels of consciousness. You know, some of us are still adolescents. I speak for myself here. You know, we don't actually move on from that place. And I want to highlight six levels of consciousness here that I think we we go through. And these levels aren't good or bad, because I think we move through these levels all the time as individuals, ourselves. We bump up and down in these levels, but there is generally a progression. And what's interesting as well is that I think these levels of consciousness are reflected in the way that we behave in society. I think you can see these different levels of consciousness. So they're they're about children and, and the development of children. You can see that the way they dramatize out in society. Each level of consciousness has a parallel in the way that we've developed as a culture. 
Now, the first one that I want to talk about, level of consciousness, is infant consciousness. It's a, it's a primary consciousness. It's physical. It's, known, it's what's known as primary narcissism. And it's that original self-centeredness. You know, the infant and the mother are one. And it lasts about, you know, the first third of uh, a child's growing up. It, it lasts about, you know, a, ch- a third of a child's life. And they keep on blipping back to it. In order prog- to progress from this level, the child has to differentiate from the mother and other things. The child has to realize that it is separate from the mother and separate from other things, and realize that its emotions are separate from other people's. And it's vital that those two things happen, that there is a differentiation, because if there's not, they just stay in that same state. And you do see people who, who have not really grown out of this, where they just identify the whole world as being, you know, their problems are the problems of the world. And that person could develop into a narcissistic individual and project their feelings onto others without realizing that other people have their own feelings. And we know people who do that. As an adult, they'll develop those sort of personality disorders. And the interesting thing is, I think these levels of consciousness have cultural relevance as well as individual relevance. And this primary infant consciousness, you can see that really in those people that are those of you that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where you really need shelter, you need food, you need warmth, you know, before you can progress. And really, it's a Stone Age perspective where you just really want to get your own first. You know, those Stone Age people thought of themselves as part of nature. They lived by sensation and instinct. There was a high level of sensing danger. You know, it's all about, you know, reproduction, no real culture basic survival. Food, water, warmth, sex, safety, those are the priorities. And you can see that nowadays, you know, in people when they live on the streets, it's a very similar sort of perspective. You can see it also in late stage Alzheimer's and some mentally ill situations. Um, You can see it in really in starving masses, that level of consciousness. And there's an estimate that 1% of the adult population live within this area. And they have 0% power. No power whatsoever, but people do live in this area. Now, the second level of consciousness I want to suggest is magical consciousness. And this, again, is egocentric. And it's really children between the age of two and seven. And here, it's really the inability to distinguish between the contents of the mind and the external world. It's as if the whole world out there is the same as the person in here. There's a wonderful book in England called uh, a, a, a childhood uh, uh, children's book, series of children's books by Enid Blyton called Noddy. Anyone come across Noddy? Anyway, it's just a chill. Thank you very much. English people have. It's, very, it's a little Noddy's little character that goes around in his car and he goes and has adventures with his friend Big Ears and they go around things. And, and after one of the adventures, I really spotted this, there was a scene they were driving back in their car And there was a signpost by the road, and it said, home, two miles. And if you look at the consciousness that would think that, home, two miles on a signpost, makes it as if the whole of the world is is about them. And that there would be a signpost just saying, home, two miles. And the egocentric nature of this magical consciousness is about that. It's the development of magical beliefs. 
you know, invisible friends. You know, the sun and moon follow us as we walk along. Uh, you know, the, the idea that if you, you, you tear a picture of somebody, it might hurt that person. The idea of magical words. You know, you see children playing hide and seek, and they think that, that if they can see you, but you can't see part of them, then, you know, you can't see them. There's this sense that there's a total connection. You know, good and bad is seen in terms of reward and punishment. It's not moral. Approval and disapproval is the actual key thing. You know, fairy stories are very important, uh, you know, in this level of consciousness. And people gradually learn that they're not the center of the world. They can't magic things into place and they must cooperate and share. And in order to move out of this magical level of consciousness, you've really got to, and all these levels of consciousness, you have to have an inner realization that it's not working. You have to realize at the level that actually you're not connected to the whole world, that, you know, there, is, there are individuals and they all have their own feelings. And you have to have that realization, then you have to let go of that level of consciousness and then move on to the next one. And you can see this level of consciousness, magical level, culturally, um, it's very tribal, you know, the idea of people not taking pictures of, 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 of tribes because it's going to capture their soul. This is that sort of level. Uh, animism, where you attribute living souls to plants and animals, voodoo dolls, this whole area, where you see the sky and the thunderstorms as being alive. You know, natural phenomenon controlled by word ceremonies that you can do a rain dance or say things and it will change the world. This level of consciousness you know, is quite prevalent. You, know, you can see it in, in gangs, you know, where there's a huge level of people who, you know, when they say things, they're very superstitious. In athletics teams, you see people you know, have to go through whole rituals before they start the game because they think that ritual's going to affect it. And they're convinced that if they don't, you know, cross themselves or put their T-shirt up one way, it's going to affect their games. They just get into this mentality where they think they're connected in that way. And funny enough, you know, um, 10% corporate tribes are like this. If you've ever been in a big corporation, they will be very concerned about the way things are done and the way that words are used. And so it's quite a powerful thing, sports, you know, all that um, people being superstitious, and they reckon about 10% of the population are involved at this level of consciousness and about 1% of power in, in this level. And when you move from this level, the next level of consciousness is really mythical consciousness. And mythical consciousness is really the age of seven up to adolescent. And it's no longer about fairy stories and things like that. It's this level of consciousness is an awareness of the concreteness of the world. You become aware that the world is real. You know, parents, teachers rule your world. You know, rocks are hard, there are laws, there are rules. This is the law and order stage of development. Where, you know, what daddy says is right is right, or what daddy says is wrong is wrong. You know, my parents, right or wrong, people will have fights in the playground because their daddy says this. And also, my God, right or wrong. You know, people will, t- will be totally saying that their God is my country, right or wrong. I don't care. It, it is America. 
I don't care. It is Jesus. I don't care. My country, right? This is a mythical level of consciousness where diversity causes confusion. You see people in this level of consciousness. So when you start to say, well, it's great. It's not just one thing. They get totally confused because it's either right or wrong. They want that certainty in this level. And it, the inner world of this level is populated by powerful gods who have an effect. You know, those powerful gods may be Jesus. They may be your parents. They may be your teachers. And they know that, you know, they get the idea that if you're good, you'll get the goodies. If you follow Jesus in the right way, you will not get cancer. If you follow your parents, you know, everything will be okay. You know, but if you do the wrong thing, bad things will happen. It's a very moral level of existence. And it no longer believes that it can make the world do its, its bidding. The person doesn't believe that it can make the world do its bidding by using words, but it believes it can make the world do its bidding by appealing to the gods by appealing to people who, if you behave in the right way, whoever they may be, they will give you the goodies. They will make sure it happens. Now, culturally, this is interesting because it's really the first emergence of the self as distinct from the tribe. You know, that idea of nationalism, uh, of, you know, that, that my country right or wrong is the most important, my religion right or wrong. In this area, conversion is incredibly important. Let's eliminate the people who are not on my side. Let us convert everybody to being like us so that the world can be a right place because we know what's right and we know what's wrong. There's a belief in a certain way that is handed down in this culture. You know, gods are in the sky, Norse gods, Greek gods. And there's a huge desire in this area to impose beliefs on others through whatever power is possible. And you get out of this level, crusades, jihad. It's, this is the dominant culture of religions. This is the dominant culture of religions. You know, violating codes in this culture has severe re repercussions if you go against it. There are hierarchies, it's very paternalistic, very law and, or orientated, law and order orientated, control through guilt, um, convention, and conformism. That's how this level, and you could recognize it all the way through. And, you know, it's, it's very uh, prevalent in, uh, you know, rebellious youth, frontier mentality, James Bond villains, this area, gang leaders, wild rock stars, Attila the Hun, Lord of the Flies, Puritan America, Dickens in England, codes of chivalry, Boy Scouts, moral, the moral majority, patriotism. It's all this level of, of the worldview. And you know, they estimate that 60% of the population are in this area. And they hold 35% of the power in the country. That's this worldview. Now, the next, are you with this? Are you okay with this? Can you see how it fits in? You think, and we're all in these areas. I believe in half of these things. You know, I, I want my food. I want to have stuff. You know, I think if I say a magic word and bless something, that it'll happen. You know, I, you blip in and out of this. These aren't bad. You just have to be aware of them. The next level of consciousness, rational consciousness. You can all breathe a sigh of relief at this one. Children learn to rationalize and work things out for themselves at this level. You know, it's the death of mythical consciousness. You know, the whole idea of the... Um, 
uh, of the Enlightenment is involved in here. You know, you can see the Enlightenment when it comes along. You know, the church is horrified because mythical consciousness started to be killed. And, you know, society moves into this rational consciousness. The rebirth of rational consciousness actually begins at adolescence. Some of us haven't yet arrived at that. But it does begin there. The ability to think abstractly in accordance with rules of, of logic. Um, and, and really, you know, we're so familiar with this, uh, this whole area where, you know, one thing is built on another. It's, it's, it involves creativity, a functional thinking. And, you know, when you look at rational consciousness culturally, it is really the dominant level in our society. You know, universities, governments, the enlightenment lifting us culturally from that mythical level. It's achievement-orientated, materialistic gains. And you can see it in the market economy, in militant atheism, emerging middle classes, cosmetics industry, trophy hunting, the military, circular humanism, and liberal self-interest. And, you know, 30% of the population are here, and it has 50% of the power. It's a huge thing, and we just can hugely recognize it in ourselves. Now, moving on, you know, the next level really is visionary consciousness. And that really is beyond simple, abstract, and, and literal thinking. It's, in this level, you can begin to think in three dimensions. It's the ability to make connections beyond current thinking. Einstein says that none of his great theories came through rational thinking. None of his great theories, he says, came through Russia. This is the level you're talking about, where there's something beyond the rational. You begin to see the mind and the process of thinking as part of the equation of working things out. You begin to have ourselves, you know, be within that. You know, it's quantum mechanics, that whole idea. And it's the need to free the human spirit from greed, egalitarianism, the value of communities, diversity and multiculturalism. And we will begin to see, mm, yes, I'm, I'm feeling, this is me. This, you know. But notice that as well. That, that, that is the whole area of vision. And visionary conscious culturally is really all about a green thinking. It's about planetary thinking. It's about ecology. And this sort of thing is, you know, is, is current in postmodernism, in humanistic psychology, Greenpeace, animal rights, political correctness, post-colonialism, human rights issues, and diversity movements. And they reckon about 10% of the population involved in that. And they have about 15% of the power, you know, in, in terms of, of the way that that operates. So the last area of consciousness that I want to talk about, and really, you know, as I said, we do blip in and out of this. The last area really is soul consciousness. Um, and that soul consciousness is a quantum shift of the goalposts. And we were talking about worldviews and the idea of one sort of moving through this, allowing oneself to become aware. And this is the movement really into that point of holiness where we become living sacrifice. We are made holy by opening ourselves at this level of consciousness. It's, it's, this level is an awareness of ourselves as part of something bigger. Almost dying to an old level to become a new person. You know, the idea of being born again is this sort of level of consciousness. It's a result, of, and it leads to expanded vision. There's a desire to tell others and communicate about it. You know, we're less attached to our beliefs. 
and there's a greater awareness of the mind and a grand unification, a new spirituality as a, me- as, as a meshwork of all existence, multiple levels of interaction. This is the area we, you know, we work towards. And, you know, it's evident in, uh, culturally in Einstein, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, monasticism, compassionate living, uh, acceptance, contemplative life, altruism, um, detecting harmonics, uh, mystical force, all this whole area. And they reckon that 0.1% of the population are at this level. And they hold 1% of the power in the world. And really, you know, the point of showing this to you is this is where our work is here. You know, there's that whole idea of the hundredth monkey when a sufficient amount of the population begins to experience itself in a certain way, then the whole of the population begins to experience itself. And this is tiny at the moment. And really, if you look at our world as it is right now, our role really is to express ourselves at this level and therefore to have more people experience themselves at this level and to express themselves at this level. And really the transformation of the world is about, it can only happen by people expressing themselves at this level. All the other levels are self-interested. All the other levels are self-interested. Even the visionary level are self-interested. They just want, want something. This level is not. You know, that, that, another quote, just to bore you again, by you know, Einstein, that, you know, a problem cannot be solved by the same consciousness that created the problem in the first place. A, a problem cannot be solved by the same consciousness that created the problem in the first place. And there has to be, in order for our world to change, there has to be a shift in consciousness. And this is the major shift in consciousness. Now, I've got handouts for you, because I know this is so complicated. So those people in this row here, if you'd like to pick down and pick out your handouts here, just pass them along your row. Pat, you'll have to do a double duffy here. It's this, this, not those handouts, not those books, it's those ones there. So if you just hand those on, those spirals, uh, and just to, that's, those are the ones to have passed down, yes, the spirals. And I just want you, these are the sorts of stages uh, that we're looking at. It is the transformation through all these levels of consciousness that allow us to reach a point where we become those living sacrifices. And you can see I put these levels down. And the last one, you know, that red one on the outside, which I haven't put up here, that intuitive consciousness is when you give yourself to that soul consciousness. When it's not about you, then something else, then you're being, you start to become led. You know, th- there's an intuitive aspect that comes in at that particular level. And there's this sense of being part of a greater unity of consciousness. And, and you're drawn in the process of evolution, in the process of creation. You become part of that. And, you know, the whole point of our lives is to be involved in the process of transformation, in the process of, of, of creation, of taking things forward. And the next level of evolution will be the evolution of consciousness. It's not an extra finger for texting. It will be an evolution of consciousness where we start to treat each other in different ways, where the purpose of our being is not just for our own good, but for the good of all. And that wonderful quote I used last week from Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, 
and conforming to the pattern of the world is those other levels. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And self-conscious is that point. As I said, you know, we do go in and out of the other levels. You can't say they're bad or not because they're part of it. But this, this is where you give yourself up. This is the moment that you, it's not about you. And it's good to be conscious, even if you don't feel you're in there, to aspire to that. It is the process of the transforming of your mind. Now, as I said, we blip out of each stage. However, to be conscious of the process gives us an idea of what we're doing and where we're coming from at each stage of our development. Just to be aware of, you know, when we are thinking about you know, if I say this word, then the word will change. You know, you know you're in that level of magical consciousness or mythical consciousness. When I think if I do obey, then goodies will come to me. If I think there is a God or gods that, will, that are moral, and that, you know, and then there's rational and realize when you're behaving in a rational day. And sometimes we're catapulted into one place or another by an experience or we just grow through it in life. But in relation to the nature of being, Our fullness of being occurs when we embrace all the stages, when we're aware of these stages as we go through them, when we become conscious of how we are being. And that is when you arrive at a point of the fullness of being in that stage. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open our minds and our hearts that we may see where we come from as we live our lives. May we be open to that place where we live life for those around us, for society around us, for the transformation of those around us. Pray for our leaders in the world that there may be a development into that soul consciousness. We pray that more people may be able to live their life from that place. Pray for the trouble spots around the world. Think of Chechnya, Iraq, Syria, Russia. Areas where there is difficulty. Think of Mexico. Lord, we pray that soul consciousness in those areas. We pray for all those in prison, all those who are hungry, all those who are suffering, all those who are ill. Pray for our world, pray for our country, pray for our state, pray for our town, pray for our valley, pray for ourselves. May we be a part of that development of consciousness. And we pray for people close to us in our community who we know is suffering. Pray for Patricia Hill, for Barbara Orcutt, Will Welsh, 
Albert Karlberg, her family, and Hodges, Tracy Houston, Galen Gatsky, Tom Jones, Linda Schneider, Katie Zanto, Jeff Schlepp, Lauren Ann Bauer, Jan Metz, Lainey Hers, Sole with a rare, a rare form of cancer and her mother, Jackie. Pray for the family of Sarah Williams Wolf, whose memorial was yesterday. For her husband Mark, son Samuel, for parents Margaret and Jeff. Pray for the family of Melanie Galderisi, Shelley Frankton's sister, Shelley, who did these flowers in her honour, who passed away on Thursday. Pray for family of Pepper Gomez, wife Susan, after her husband passing last week. Pray for Sharon Wells. Anyone that we know is troubled or suffering at the moment in our hearts. Amen.